We're starting a month on prosperity. We're starting a pledge program. I guess one place to start is just introducing the book that I'll be using for this month. It's called uh, The Four Spiritual Laws of Prosperity by Edwin Gaines. And the reason I chose it is she is one of the, what do I want to call her? Like a pioneer in the New Thought movement. Um, she and Louise Hay probably were some of the very first people working in fundamental ways in the New Thought movement. Louise Hay, of course, around wholeness and health. Uh, uh, Edwin Gaines around prosperity and abundance. And so I kind of wanted to go back to one of the masters that's been around a long time. The other reason, honestly, that I like Edwin Gaines is she has a huge sense of humor. She's a lot of fun. That always appeals to me. So if you ever get a chance to see her, but I mean, even just in reading the book, her humor, her, her goodwill, and her love comes across. So the four spiritual laws of prosperity, and we have actually five Sundays this month. Hmm. So, so today is really going to be kind of the setup for it, if you will, because it occurs to me that for us to accept th- something new in our life, there may be some old baggage to clean out. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever um, gotten a really big new piece of furniture or something like that, and when the movers show up, it's like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Where am I going to put this? Well, I kind of think that's true with our own ideas, with our own concepts of life. Sometimes if we want to bring in a really new, a really powerful, a really different concept, we've simply got to make room for it. So today we can think of ourselves as as sort of clearing the air or clearing the house or making way for something great. Because over the next four weeks, we're going to learn four fantastic ways of making our lives more comfortable, more abundant, more prosperous, more financially free. Okay, and I think one place to start is even just with the promise of this book, because, you know, every good book, I think, has sort of a promise in it, usually in the preface or in the first chapter, and of course, um, Edwin Gaines is no different. She says, I believe that prosperity is your birthright. As a child of God, I believe it is your divine inheritance. It's bequeathed to you by divine right. Prosperity is the consciousness of God, and it is present everywhere. God wants you to be prosperous, and this book will show you how to be so. All right. Is that a clearer promise? I don't think so. So we're going to have some fun. The other place I thought to start, of course, usually I start with a joke. And I was trying to find a joke this time. Um, that would be pertinent in, in a way, but of course be riotously funny. And I found a joke that probably, <laughs> that probably isn't riotously funny at all, but I think, uh, I think it's appropriate. So, uh, so, so a minister of a congregation, Saturday night, there's a huge windstorm, and part of the roof is actually torn off of the church building. Sunday morning, you know, the congregants are gathered around and kind of nervously looking up at the building, and the minister says, well... I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is we have the money we need to replace this roof. And you know what? We have enough that we can also fix up the the bathroom that isn't working right and and increase youth church. And everybody's going, wow, this is cool, because they're looking up and thinking that's going to be expensive. And the minister says, and then I have the bad news. The money is still in your purses. (laughs) It's still in your pocketbooks. Still, you know, still in your bank account. Yeah. But you know what? The reason, though, I thought this was pertinent is so often, because I think this minister actually was very wise, 
Because how often do we think that our good is distant from us? Do you know what I mean? And, and yet that minister was dead on because he knew his, his community was loving. He knew that the roof was going to be repaired. He knew that God would provide, right? So it wasn't really so much a question of whether, you know, whether or not we're going to repair things. And so really he was doing what I would like us all to do. And that really is have ownership and immediacy and an embracement of the good that we already have in our life. But sometimes to do that, we have to let go, as I mentioned earlier, of some of the baggage that's laying around. And so first off, I want to do a little belief check. Now, I've already experimented with this on the first service, and so I can absolutely swear to you, if you raise your hand, the only person that will see is me. Okay? All right. I, I tried it out on the first service, so I know it's true. So you don't have to be hesitant about whether I should raise my hand or not. I'm just going to ask two questions, and I'd like a show of hands. Okay, the first belief that I want to check in on is, who believes that we can pray for things believing in the power of God to make it happen? So who, who believes that? Okay, so I'd say probably about three-quarters of the folks. Next one, who believe that God listens to our prayers and decides if we're appropriate to receive the good? Okay, just a very few people. All right, so this last question I wanted to throw out because it reminds me of something. Believe it or not, 20, maybe five years ago, uh, my undergraduate degree is in theater arts, and I got to witness a lovely play called Inherit the Wind by Jerome Lawrence and Robert Lee. And in that, one of the characters is actually a fairly devout Christian, but always seems to be in trouble, always, always having trouble. And one of the characters said about him, he looked for God too high up and too far away. And I think that is the main issue that sometimes we have with our own prosperity. We think of God as all good, right? God is the prosperity of the universe. God is the love of the universe. God is the joy of the universe. God is the peace. God is everything that is, that is within our heart's desire. But what happens then if we think of that as God and God's a little too high up and a little too far away? It would have that effect of kind of always putting off those things, always putting off our prosperity, always putting off the love, always putting off our good because it's a little too far away, a little outside of ourselves, a little distant, a little hard to reach. Well, I think that a lot of Americans right now have these beliefs about both God and their good. I think most believe, Americans believe that God is a separate kind of being, something sitting up on a cloud somewhere maybe, kind of judging us. Well, has Larry really been good enough? Is he worthy enough to receive his good, right? Has he, you know, what about that thing he did in high school? Remember that, you know, remember that thing he did in high school? Should he really be rewarded with a good life now? You know, what about the lettuce in his refrigerator that so often gets moldy? Isn't that really squandering the resources of the universe? You know, if he's going to squander the resources of the universe, you know, maybe we should withhold a little from him until he becomes a better steward of his vegetables. <laughs> well, now you laugh, you laugh, but what I know is that there are people right here in this room that believe they're not worthy of receiving the riches of the universe. 
And, and they, you, you know, and I, I, I'm not obviously gonna, not going to name any names, but there are people everywhere that believe they are unworthy, that they are not good enough, that they're not smart enough, that they haven't behaved well enough, and that these beliefs are really keeping their good from them. It's as though, again, that idea of God up on a cloud somewhere. Remember the idea of the Santa Claus God? He remembers whether you've been good or bad, and you better be good for goodness sake. Well, that's not God. I'm here to tell you. I'm not even sure that that's a very good image of Santa Claus either, but I know that it's not an image of God. God is as near to us as our breath. God is as near to us as our own thoughts, our friends, our family, this, this sanctuary, this group of loving individuals. This is God. Never separate, even as the song that we were so beautifully blessed with, right? God never leaves this heart. Love never leaves this heart because it's what makes up this heart. And so who cares what most Americans think? What I believe is that we can believe that God is everywhere, and it means us personally. I know that we can believe that God is ultimately good in all of the universe and, and its exquisite goodness, whether it be peace or riotous abundance and opulence, whether it be joy or, or love or, or robust good health. What I know is that these are God and that these, because we are part of God, are ours to enjoy today and forever. I know that we can believe that God is all-powerful, and so we can use this power for good. I know that God is all-wise, and so we can use this wisdom for our own benefit. We can tap in to that which I call God on any level and experience the wisdom, the joy, the peace, the love, all of it. It is for me to have. It is for each person in this room to have their heart's desire. And the good news is, back to our good news and our bad news story, right? The, the bad news and the good news is, is it's right here in your own pockets, right? You don't have to go elsewhere to find your good. Just like the minister folded his arms and said, well, you know, it's good news and bad news. It, ultimately, it was good news. The money was right there in that room, even as your good is right here in this room in the form of your own thoughts, your own thought patterns, your own ability to know and understand and underscore what it is you want to receive and really hold it close to you in your own mind. Really hold it with that appreciation and that intention of enjoying it, whether it be a peaceful day, whether it be a more well-rounded bank account, whether it be a, a stock portfolio or the sweetness of holding a baby. What I know is when we hold it in our mind and we hold it with love and we understand that all we have to do is accept it, the universe will absolutely do cartwheels. The universe, God, will do backflips in order to bring you those things, whatever they are. The universe's job ultimately is simply to say yes. Simply to say yes. And when we think of worthiness, I always get a smile on my face because it isn't the worthiness of whether there is moldy lettuce in the refrigerator. It isn't the worthiness of whether you've had a good life up until now. It, it isn't the worthiness of whether you're good to your kids and loving to your families and things like that. The only worthiness that there is is right in this minute whether you consider yourself worthy to receive that which you want to receive. 
we're dispensing with the Santa Claus God in the sky, right? There's no ultimate arbitrator of worthiness. It is simply for each one of us in each moment to say what our good is and to claim it. To claim it from our heart, to complain, com- to um, hold on to it with that understanding that it is ours to experience, to really just claim it. Um, Edwin Gaines presents the, the real challenge in this book, I think. She says, My belief is that God is right here in this moment, within us, surrounding us, embracing us, connecting us, and that the more awake and aware we are to God's presence within and around us, the more joy, abundance, and vitality we will be able to experience in our own lives. She goes on to say, Our challenge and our goal is not to try to fight and manipulate the universe that wants to withhold our good. Instead, it is simply to accept that the good is here and to give ourselves permission to receive it. She says, My own experience is that this requires us to make some profound and deep-seated changes within ourselves. And so I want to continue with this idea of separation, this idea of somehow that our good is, is like out there rather than right here in our own pockets. And I want to illustrate it with something as easy as my hand. Now, how many people in the audience today would say that my hand is separate from my body? Okay, no one here would say that my hand is separate from my body. And yet, I ask you, It has its own specially designed clothes. Now, those of you who wear gloves now and then know that a hand has a specially designed suit. It has its own nerve endings and responses. Now, maybe what you didn't know is that this thing actually has a muscle memory and an intelligence to to itself. Those of you who write either right-handed or left-handed, our brain knows how to write, correct? Try writing with the other hand. There is muscle memory involved. My hand actually has talents of its own. And likewise, those of you who've ever played a a keyboard, for instance, will know that there comes a time when you can really concentrate on doing the melody with the right hand, and the left hand will simply play the appropriate chords without you even thinking about it. Absolutely proven. And I think if I have one or two more lessons from Ken Brewer, I may actually get there. But, uh, but what I know is I already have glimpses of it, even after only a certain number of lessons. Okay, so our hand has a degree of autonomy to itself, has its own muscle memory. It requires its own grooming, right? I don't have to cut the nails on my nose. And finally, it has a very unique ro- uh, role in the world. It's one, you know, with my opposable thumbs, it allows me to do something that I would be hard-pressed to do with any other body part. I can grasp things, I can drive a car, I can unlock things, I can do things with this hand that I would not be able to do with anything else. So by all of these definitions, why would we not consider my hand to be separate from my body? Well, of course you're saying, Larry, get a clue. Just common sense will tell you, of course they're connected. So why are we so clear so often that God is separate from us? Why cannot we realize that we are simply the hands of God? Look back at our definitions. Well, I have my own specially designed clothes. 
I have my own mental responses and ideas, but why do I think that my mind is separate from the one mind? I don't think that, that the uh, automotive uh, reflexes of, of my hand allowing me to play the piano, I don't think that somehow that separates it from my body. I, of course, require my own grooming that's separate from, like, Nancy or, or you all. But why does I somehow think that makes me separate from God then? By every criteria that we are, have proven that my hand is not separate from my body, yet we are willing to believe that we are separate from God, that we're separate from our good, that we're separate from the joy and the peace and the love that we know God absolutely represents and, and exists in limitless supply. All right, so how do we get closer to God? How do we reaffirm, how do we get a better understanding that this thing is really part of us as well? Because I think this is the secret. We're going, in the next four weeks, going to be covering some very tangible spiritual principles and practices for regaining more physical abundance in our lives. That's, and, and that's kind of the piece of cake, I think, because it'll just be learning a few principles and learning a few practices, and unlimited wealth can come our way. But what I know is if we still have this picture of God out there, if we still have this picture of our good, that which we hold close to us, the love, the life, the joy, the peace, the abundance, if we're still thinking that's out there, that we're not worthy of it, that God is somehow going to be judging us, then I think we keep it at a distance to us. No matter what we try to do, no matter what spiritual principles we might intellectually understand, our heart might still be saying, oh, I'm just not worthy. And what I know is right in this room, there are people who think they're not worthy. And and I'll even illustrate this with the idea of going for a job interview. How many of you have ever been on a job interview, both when you really and desperately needed a job, as well as when, well, no, I've already got a job, but here's a, a, an even nicer job and I'll apply for it. Well, what I know about me is when I go in the job that I'm desperate for, I feel desperate. I'm feeling like, you know, there's, we're right in the middle of kind of a recession and there's probably 500 other people trying to get this job and maybe I'm not qualified as they are and, and you know, gosh, my resume, you know, wasn't as good as it could be and and I'm a little worried about even how I'm dressed because this is one of these new high-tech companies and, like, should I wear a suit or should I be in shorts? And, and like, it, I mean, and it matters because I'm, like, way too old to get a job here anyway. And you know what? I don't even get as far as the reception desk because somewhere along the line, someone will say, this guy really is unworthy. Listen to him. Look at him. He reeks of it. I probably don't even get the interview. And then contrast that when you go for a job when you already have one. You are confident. You don't need this job, right? You're just looking for something a little better. You know that you're secure. You know you're safe. Suddenly it's round three of the interviews and you're one of the top two people. And was there really any difference, bottom line, In your level of experience, was there really any difference in your qualifications? Was there really any difference? Or was it simply, was it simply the willingness to stand in the truth of your power versus standing, wallowing perhaps, in my picture of pity? There was no difference. 
And so when we begin to realize that God is right here, God does not make any junk. The pure power and presence of God is here in each one of us. When we can stand tall and recognize that we are love, when we stand tall and recognize that we are wisdom, when we stand tall and recognize that the power and abundance, the unlimited wealth of the universe is right here in our own pockets, in our own belief system, in our own willingness and ability to receive, then what does God say? God simply says yes. God simply says, how can I make sure that Larry's going to experience more of this? How can I make sure that Larry is going to get that job? How can I make sure that Larry, I know he likes to drive, and my gosh, look at that shabby old car. I'll figure out a way. Do you know what I mean? When it's in our heart that we are abundance, when it's in our heart that we are love, the universe will absolutely do cartwheels to bring us more of it to usher in a time of greatness and calmness and security. It's what the universe does. It takes our thoughts, it takes our thought patterns, amplifies them, and makes... It's like the greatest producer, the greatest machine in the universe. It's simply there to say yes to the general trend of our thoughts. And I can think that I'm unworthy, I can think that I'm poor, I can think that I'm desperate, and you know what? The universe will say, yes. Or I can think that I'm loved, I can think that I'm wealthy, I can think that I'm right in the flow of the universal good. And then, much to my pleasure and surprise, the universe also says, yes. Well, I'm going to close with a little bit of homework today because what I know is that truly our own riches are right in our pocket. And I think once we begin getting a taste of that, um, it will snowball. And so the homework is something very simple this week. I want you to go out into the world and really relish some of the opulence you already have. And I'll use a couple examples. Uh, One good example is you could walk two blocks this way and walk about five blocks that way and you would be in the midst of one of the most beautiful rose gardens in the city of Portland in Peninsula Park. And you know what? You own it. You, taxpayers, we own it. I can walk down there, sit on a bench, and marvel at the fact that I have not even had to supervise my gardeners (laughs) in keeping that place so, so lovely. I can sit there and drink in the absolute beauty and feel the ownership and the pride and just the sweet loveliness of being there. And you can too. And what I know is that God, when I'm having those feelings, that God is going, oh my God, look at Larry enjoying the rose garden. Look at him drinking in the beauty, experiencing it, accepting it into his life. I need to find out more ways to have him have these feelings. Another way you could experience this, uh, maybe you want to go downtown. Check out the Benson Hotel. Just order, you know, like one seven up. You know, you might be out $2.50 at the Benson. I don't know. But order a seven up, sit in the lobby, and just drink in the opulence. It's a public place. Of course you can. 
And when the universe sees you enjoying, just feeling that sense of, of comfort and ownership and prestige and, and whatever those feelings come to you, just hold on to them because you know what? The universe is saying, oh my gosh, she needs to experience more of this. I'm going to say yes. And that's the way the universe works. So simple homework this week. Find yourself a place that you know will bring up in your own mind, in your own consciousness, in your own thoughts, feelings of wealth, feelings of support, feelings of security, feelings of ownership, feelings of love, and spend a little time there. And while you're there, be, have your thoughts be mirroring the, uh, mir mirroring the, the feelings that you're having in that room. Say to yourself, wow, I really am abundant. Look around. I really am joyous and free. This is the beginnings of noticing that your good is already in your pockets. This is the beginnings of realizing that you don't even have to win the lottery, although that might be one of the ways that God figures out, wait a minute, if she likes this, maybe a million of them would be useful. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But when we begin realizing that we already are wealthy and when we begin embracing it and feeling and holding it close to us and having that sense that my good is my God and it's right here, then the universe will take care of the rest for you. So I'm going to close today with a prayer. And, uh, and for those of you who have been around a, a little bit before, you're even going to recognize this one. It's from the Living the Science of Mind uh, textbook in the back. And uh, it's one that we often use. I'm going to do it as a call and response. So I'm going to read out a line, and then I'd like you to read it back to me. Are we, are we good? All right. Good and more good is mine. And ever-increasing good is mine. There is no limit to the good that's mine. Everywhere I go, I see this good. I feel it and experience it. It crowds itself around me. It flows through me. It expresses itself in me. And it multiplies itself around me. Good and more good is mine. Good and more good is mine. Thank you very much. Thank you.